0: Shake it, episode sixteen. Yeah, part two with Megan Ramos. Megan Ramos, shake it, let's Ba-da-da-da-da. go. Welcome to Solving Healthcare. I'm cordial Caramante. I'm an ICU and palliative care physician here in Ottawa, and the founder of Resource Optimization Network. We are on a mission to transform healthcare in Canada. I'm going to talk with physicians, nurses, administrators patients, and their families because inefficiencies, overwork, and overcrowding affects us all. I believe it's time for a better healthcare system that's more cost-effective, dignified, and just for everyone involved. Welcome back, everybody. We are on episode 16 already. I can't believe how quickly this has gone and... I can't wait for you guys to hear this next episode with Megan. It's, it's amazing. And one thing I want you guys to take away from all this intermittent fasting talk that we're having. We are talking about a simple intervention where people alter the way they eat, specifically the timing of when they eat. And I'm saying diabetics are coming off insulin. Patients that are needing dialysis, are coming off dialysis. People that are spending thousands and thousands of dollars on medications are now saving money. Like this thing, when you think about it, is insane. And we should be telling everybody and their mother about the power of fasting. And yes, we don't know about some of these long-term impacts. We haven't studied this extensively for years on end. But for those that are in in that are in, you know, those diabetics, those that are having inflammatory diseases or autoimmune diseases you know this is an option and i just think it's such a simple cost-effective strategy that works for so many people that more people need to hear about this so this is why i'm so excited about it and i hope this is coming across in these episodes next i also want to give a quick shout out to mike hale Uh, He's one of the residents on on emergency medicine here in Ottawa. And he's the one that got me onto this. And without him, I don't think I would be doing this show. So shout out to Mike. also want to do a quick shout out to Ariel Burns, who is helping us materialize some of our aspirations to create change. She's helping us develop a charitable organization where we get to provide funds for kids in need. for kids that are at high risk of falling through the cracks. So I'm gonna give more specifics later on, but she's helping us materialize this this dream of ours. And it's truly changing the boogie, and it's an intervention that I'm hoping does solve healthcare. Also, so as you know, we have recently started to sell merchandise on our, uh, for, for solving healthcare, and proceeds are going to charity, and this month they're going to Ottawa Inner City Health. So we decided to have a contest. For those of you that purchase merch, take a picture, post it on social media. The person that has the highest response will get to choose the next charity. And I think this was a good way of promoting what we're trying to do and, and engaging you guys. So go ahead, buy that merch and support our local charity. This month it's like I said, it's Ottawa Intercity Health and you'll be uh, you'll be doing us a service. Lastly, I wanna tell you about our sponsor, BetterHelp. Once again, these guys are online counselors that provide amazing care that is accessible, affordable, and convenient. They provide it via video chat, via messaging, via email, via phone call, and it's high-quality care. And, you know, whether that's teen counseling, whether that's couples counseling, whether that's some of our healthcare providers experiencing compassion fatigue, it's all there. And so if you are thinking of signing up, use the... Promo code solving healthcare and get 10% off your uh, sign-up fees. All right, this is our second conversation we had with Megan Ramos about fasting and some of the details involved. In this episode, we specifically get into like the stall. There's a lot of people out there that experience, you know, weight loss quick, but have more difficulty getting off that that extra 5-10 pounds. So we we'll get into that. We We talk about how intermittent fasting can affect eating disorders we talk about the impact of Megan's clinic we talk about the impact fasting has on athletes specifically George St. Pierre I didn't realize that was one of the clients I lost my mind when she threw that down I'm a big GSP fan can you imagine we getting him on the show Damn. so yeah we get into the details of that and you guys are going to love it the response you guys have had on uh, part 1 has been incredible so I think this will this is even better so without further ado Megan Ramos. One of the questions I got online was, and several people mentioned this, was like what they called the stall. So, you know, they were able to get that first whatever, 10, 15, 20 pounds, and they are no longer getting that bang for their bucket, or they're not continuing to lose weight. Any general advice in terms of our listeners that are experiencing these things?
1: Yeah, I find that almost like I, I would wager almost everything that I own that it's in one of the few scenarios. And the first one being that there's just too many training wheels during the fast time and it it's not like a fasting day. So if they're having like two fatty coffees, like two bulletproof coffees, I mean, it takes the body about, like you're giving your body 10 hours worth of energy just there from the two fatty coffees. And you're only doing like a 24-hour fast. So you're not really ever letting your body fuel off of your own fat. So utilizing the training wheels for too long is by far the thing I see the most. Mm-hmm. The second thing is you know, people thinking that 16, 18-hour fasts done are you know, really therapeutic when they're not that therapeutic, especially if you have metabolic issues. So you do need to change, change things up. So maybe trying to implement one or two of the 24 36 hour fasts of the week. Another big pitfall people fall into is this one meal a day cycle. But when, especially when you change your diet up and you cut out a lot of the refined and processed foods and you're eating more real natural foods and healthy fats, you're not eating that much. Mm -hmm. And then we tend to be creatures of habit with our diet and don't get a whole variety of, of nutrients in unless we're eating multiple meals. So i work with some people and they'll just eat dinner every day of the week, but their body adapts. You know, one of the reasons why we've been so successful as a species is because we're so adaptable and your body will adapt and you just need to change it up. And I actually find that a lot of people that just do one meal a day, like they've got, still have enough fatty liver. They've got a lot of glycogen stores from imperfections still in their diet. And they don't ever really get into fat burning mode during that 24 hour fast. And then they eat this little caloric meal for dinner time. Mm-hmm. And they actually end up falling into calorie restriction. And so they'll see hair thinning, mental fog, they'll start to see even weight gain. So I'm not a big fan of people doing one meal a day. I'm a fan of them doing that every other day or say over Thanksgiving weekend when you know we've got Many relatives and friends to visit, and we're going to be eating a lot if they just want to do one big meal every day for you know those four days. Sure. But as, on a regular basis, it always ends up being counterproductive. So it's always good to mix things up. I've never seen a twenty four hour fast done intermittently or a thirty six hour fast done you know two or three times a week, not work. So those those are some key things. And another t- I guess a fourth thing is snacking like people have got to give it up. Like it's got to stop. Like I have dialysis patients and I can't fast them for a long period of time, but we cut out the snacking. It makes a huge, huge difference. And the holidays is a time where we snack a lot and people say, oh my goodness, like you, you look so great after the holidays. And I, I do gain weight over the holidays, not much, but a few pounds. But all I, I don't do a seven day fast the first week of January you know I just say okay you know this is when lunch is this is when dinner is or tomorrow this is when dinner is and that's it and I just kind of the snacking and mm-hmm. the weight just melts off in a couple of days.
0: No kidding. I, I mean, and you think about what often is involved with snack food, right? It's you know, it's crappy carbs, it's packaged food, it's it's rarely. Really good. You made me think uh, about caloric intake in in terms of in general when it comes to weight loss. Um, Because I do wonder with our the colleagues that that are mentioning the stall, if that is a major thing. So you know, you mentioned those people that are eating one meal a day every day. Like, do you think it's they're just altering their metabolic rate? Is that what you think is happening? Why you know just you know reducing that caloric intake could be detrimental
1: yeah i think that's what happens with the one meal a day they take one meal they're eating seven or eight hundred calories and then their metabolic rate starts to starts Mm. to lower try to meet up with the caloric intake so Mm. um you know caloric restriction like chronic caloric restriction as is not ideal for health but Some intermittent caloric restriction is very good for longevity, and of course, when you mix that in with some intermittent fasting, you know it's quite quite beneficial for us. Uh, So I'm not telling people out there, and I don't tell patients, like eat all the calories you want, like go crazy eating a tub of macadamia nut butter, but eat to when you're hungry. And I find that most people, when they eat meals and they don't snack. And they're eating real foods, um, so meat and fish and poultry or just a mm-hmm. bunch of vegetables, uh, avocados, berries, olives, having nuts and seeds combined in their meal, but not as a separate entity necessarily to avoid mm-hmm. snacking. You know, like men seem to sit somewhere around fifteen to 1,800 calories a day and on an eating day, and women somewhere, you know, between about 1,000 and, and 1,300 and they, they do well, you know, I'm, I'm petite, I'm barely five feet tall. So like my, my caloric intake, you know, doesn't look substantial, but for, for me, it's my body requirement. So you don't have like, I'm not telling people don't stuff your face with fat bombs and uh, macadamia nuts. That's not a good strategy for weight loss either. You know, excess calories are the proximate cause of obesity. They're not the ultimate cause of obesity. But you should really be trying to learn to eat to you're satiated and just not eating for the heck of it or because something looks good and tasty. Of course, on a spe- special occasion, sure. But you know, it's really trying to become more mindful of your body's needs. Mm.
0: So to be clear, you're saying, you know, excess calories isn't the end-all be-all when it comes to obesity. So are, what are you saying then is the cause of obesity? Well, the Oops.
1: hormonal response, right? So, you know, we're really big believers in sort of the, the hormonal theory of um, of obesity. Uh, so foods that drive high insulin levels and mm. lead to hyperinsulinemia, um, which is toxic levels of insulin in the blood that create a condition called insulin resistance, which can inevitably drive type 2 diabetes.
0: Excellent. Okay. We kind of touched on this a bit, but what do you feel is the impact of the fasting method on mental illness? So, yeah, not only like depression, anxiety, but, you know, for example, there, I mean, I've heard some theories on how people can totally obsess on what they're eating when they're eating and how that could trigger, you know, whether it's eating disorders or any other mood disorder. I wonder what your thoughts are on that, Megan.
1: So we haven't actually had fasting trigger any issues. We sort of work with our, the people that we work with in, in careful detail. You know, if they're, like I'm a scientist, so I geek out over numbers. Like my blood pressure log and blood sugar log is something that even floored my own doctor the other day. And for me, that's motivating and it's not obsessive. You know, if I were to go away for the weekend, well, I'm not like, I'm not dying. I'm I'm in good health. There's no need for me to do it on the weekend. So, you know, there's some people that are just true geeks like me uh, and love tracking this stuff. Um, And then there's some people that just find it too overwhelming. I can't tell you the number of consultations I've had and and women have who have done other weight loss programs that, like Weight Watchers, where you count points. Say that it made them mentally ill doing so. So they can't join our program if we have them count or track anything. And while you know I wasn't like counting or measuring ketones or any of that um, stuff when I lost all my weight and reversed my disease because I was t- too naive about nutrition in those days. I was doing all my learning. So if I could do it without counting or tracking anything. the the patient and client can do it. So, so we try to work with the individual, um, but we haven't had people. I think what fasting does is it gives you control. Like, you know, if you overeat at dinner, you have that dessert that you're probably going to pass. You could just fast the next day and like erase it almost like it didn't happen Mm -hmm. and people feel in control. So uh, in our program, I mean, I have worked with women, who have had eating disorders in the past. Uh, I myself used to count calories obsessively. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have labeled myself with any traditional illnesses. But, you know, with fasting, I don't need to, I need to eat till I'm full. If I overdo it, then I can skip, you know, lunch the next day. And then I can happily enjoy dinner without overcomplicating it. And I've had a lot of women that have had a history um, in their youth of bulimia and anorexia, and then just a poor relationship with food uh, in their adult lives say, you know, they finally feel like they have freedom mm. because they now know that they're in control of their health and the food is not controlling them anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's been really inspiring to see this with women, them not caring, you know, mm-hmm. eating until they feel full, having a treat once in a while, and not being upset that they had failed or that they caused this. Like they haven't had this pie that they're now going to have to work off in a week. They can just get rid of it in a day or two. So I find it just more relaxes people more than anything.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. I really think that element of control could be a huge relief or have a positive impact. So you mentioned how fasting has impacted some people's autoimmune disease, like for example, the thyroid function and, uh, and uh, and so on. Do we know why that is? Do we know what impact is truly happening?
1: So I, this is the area that Jason and I are really interested on. And I told my our, our team researcher that like this is his focus. Was um, because of all of these cases of Hashimoto's disease being reversed, um, or we work with a lot of um, people with IGA nephritis, so autoimmune. There and we're just seeing huge improvements in symptoms, or with rheumatoid arthritis. Um, we believe there's, you know, a really strong relationship between you know, insulin and the, and the inflammation. So we're we're researching it. Um, but the the thyroid function, you know, it's, what's really funny about it is that it gets a lot worse, and then it gets a lot better. Mm. So at the start, like, because we check people's lab work weekly uh, in clinic at the start. And it looks like we're giving them hypothyroidism, even if they don't already have it at the start. And then as their bodies you know, sort of adapt to being in a fat-fueling position, then uh, their numbers sort of normalize. Uh, we see their T3 levels go up, which is very interesting. So for the thyroid, we're not quite too sure, but we don't know if it's exactly related to the the fasting, or just sort of people going towards a more whole food diet, because the low carb program has found the same results. They found uh, improvement, uh, reduction in TSH, and an increase in T3 levels throughout their data as well.
0: Awesome. One thing I'm wondering about is, do you have data on the results of your clinic? Like I've seen a paper, the case K- series. We've heard how beneficial. Obviously, the fasting method's been to your patients, but do we know the scale? Like, do we really have a sense of how much impact it's had, like, for the patients that you've seen?
1: Good question. So, Jason and I were a two-man operation to start, and I actually volunteer all my hours in clinic. Um, Goddamn. So, uh, it it was just tiring. And when the obesity code came out, like, life just changed dramatically for us. So, everything got pushed away. I do have, uh, we have a a lead researcher, Larry Diamond, on our team, and he's coordinating a group of uh, medical students into writing up some of our more unique case reports and case series. But we have a team of 12 at our clinic right now uh, trying to get caught up entering in all of our data over the last several years. So we're hoping to have everything finished within the next six months, and then we'll Mm -hmm. send it off to statistician, and then we definitely want to publish it um, and, and get it out there. So we, but, uh, I think our most, we have several case studies pub- or case reports published now, but our most prominent one is in the BMJ cases, uh, and it's a short series on, um, free patients who came off of their insulin successfully.
0: Beautiful. I, I mean, we could talk later offline too. If like, this is what our, our group does where we do mad research on, on, uh, you know, how to illustrate like, Really, I think we could show um, not only the benefits, but also potentially the cost savings associated with such a program. Um, so if you you guys were ever interested in that, um, let us know. To run a clinic like this, to be able to s- see that many patients, is there a high cost? That, like, If I'm a patient that wants to be involved with the fasting method, is this going to cost me an arm and a leg?
1: No, it's $39 a month. Um, And then uh, you can uh, buy an annual subscription and save the cost of a couple of months. So we joke that it's a meal out. And so if you just fast and skip a meal out, uh, then you'll be able to (laughs) to cover the cost every month. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's incentive for people to fast. Working with one of our health coaches can be uh, a little bit more pricey we sell sort of single sessions or group packages uh, at various rates for working with a health coach one-on-one. But our our fasting method program itself, $39. And then the coaching program, a one-off session is around $150. And then you can get a package of like 18 sessions for a thousand bucks. So and everywhere in between. So we try to have a package available uh, for every price point. So so there's a 6, 12 and 18 pack. But even in the monthly membership, I mean, there's um, 18 focus groups a week. So Mm -hmm. 18 different types of fasting, there's intermittent fasting, extended fasting, there's carnivore diets, there's optimizing vegetarian diet, there's Uh, Fasting for women, fasting for men, fasting and fitness. Uh, There's uh, troubleshooting, holiday eating strategies, uh, stress management. Uh, We have a behavioral psychologist on our team who runs four one-hour meetings a week that you can join. So there's lots of coaching actually included in that, $39 a month. Um, There's a group fast every week led by Coach Brenda. uh, And every Friday, there's a book club meeting led by Coach Larry, and he usually has a guest Jason, myself, uh, cardiologist, Dr. Nadira Lee. Um, and then he tries to get uh, the authors in. Uh, so we have you know, we had Nina Tyvolch. So we have got Gary Tobbs booked in the future. Ben Dickman mm-hmm. booked when his book comes out later this year. Uh, Evan, Evelyn Boudre roy from uh, Montreal uh, will be featured in March. So we got a lot of guests in there too. And all of that's included in the $39. Um, once a month, there's an hour-long meetup with Dr. Fang where he answers your questions and you can connect live with him. I also do that once a month as well. Uh, Dr. Fung focuses his sessions uh, on fasting and I focus mine on eating strategies. Um, but I'm happy to answer fasting questions too if people don't have eating questions.
0: Wow. So it's long story short, it's affordable. It's that one meal out that you're skipping anyway. i love it okay um and this one is probably more me-centric what's your take on intermittent fasting or any form of fasting among athletes
1: oh i work with um professional athletes a lot of them you know uh, we don't talk about too much publicly but one of the more prominent ones is actually Canadian. Uh, and he's talked about working with us um, publicly. Uh, so his name is George St. Pierre or GSP.
0: Are you joking?
1: A, yeah, no, G, GSP.
0: JSP is in the mix. Yes. Actually, <laughs> I, saw, I saw him on uh, Joe Rogan talking about fasting.
1: Yeah, yeah. You mentioned Jason in our clinic there because um, he's come in. Uh, the office God staff is always excited to see him. But, yeah, I, I, he's very active on on Instagram, so he does a lot of five-day fasts. But um, GSP, one thing that he's awesome with is uh, really hydrating well during his fast. So for for him, it was just really figuring out the water, salts, magnesium uh, ratio. Right. And once we nailed that down, I mean, he went and trained in Thailand and fasted for five days in the humidity and training. But different sports have different approaches. You know with basketball players, uh, it's after they play that we work on fasting uh, so much because they we don't they don't play necessarily in that much of a fasted state. Mm-hmm. Um, so every sport's a little bit a little bit different. Um, rugby players we tend to put them on a similar diet as basketball players, um, but depending on their position, sometimes they do well with more of a, a GSP approach, with just sort of straight water and salt. I find, regardless of the athlete and whatever we do with them, um, as long as we can get the electrolytes and their fluid balance, that they, whether they're fasting and not, and they go to perform at high levels, that they do very well.
0: So, and what's their? What are a lot of these athletes' motivation to do so it? So,
1: for for uh, baseball players, it's usually healing. Baseball, basketball, rugby, football. Usually healing, they, they broke themselves last season. They wanna start fasting in the off season cause they're worried it affects their performance and it will at first if their diet's not very good. But then they start to feel so good, they become fat adapted and they like to carry it on in the, when they start the following season. The GSP, he's very publicly talked about, um, he's fasted for his colitis cause he was so miserable living with colitis. So that's mostly it. Uh, some some athletes reach out to us that are actually in pretty good shape, but just sort of want to have that upper edge. So we'll we'll work with them on more time restricted eating and then more aggressive fasting strategies in the off season to you know, try to get a, a lot of autophagy going on.
0: Wow. So we have a lot of healthcare providers like uh, family doctors, nurse practitioners, managers that are listening to this right now. What would be your message? Like what would be what what do you wish more people knew in terms of uh your program or fasting in general?
1: Well, fasting, uh I've actually someone sent me an article today saying um Jason Fung, who is like my big brother, uh and I'm closer to him than to a lot of my family. We worked together for 20 years now. Dr. Fung, who invented the intermittent fasting diet. And I thought like what my, someone said, should we share this on social media? And I said, no, it's stupid because he didn't invent it at all. Like nothing that Jason or I talk about is revolutionary. Like if you go back to Elliot, like Dr. Elliot Jocelyn in 1916, he's talking about the benefits of intermittent fasting for reversing type two diabetes back then in 1916, you know, so if I were to talk to any, and usually what I, an approach that I speak with um, to healthcare practitioners is, like, this is how we evolve. We didn't evolve eating several times throughout the day, mm-hmm. and we didn't have this much access to food. And sure, of course, we learned ways to preserve food absolutely throughout the winters and and all of that. But we we didn't we didn't have it. So just to sort of think back through just common sense of human evolution and think about meal timing from that perspective. And if they think that it's too hard for their patients to do, well, you know, let them try it and see what the patient says. Because all patients are going to be overwhelmed at first if they grew up similarly to me, know, yeah, being told to eat all day long. But once they start to feel good, don't underestimate the patient's desire to feel good. They'll mm-hmm. keep it up and uh, they'll, they'll want that reward of, of good health. So just to be open, open-minded about it. Uh, I know he's my colleague, but um, to doctors. It, it's kind of, within the medical community in Toronto, um, my name is becoming more familiar. And every now and then I need to see a, a doctor for, for something. I want to go get checked up before I start a family. I just, uh, you know, go, go, see, go see someone and they, my name rings a bell and I just bring them, you know, the obesity code book. And I know it's, it's my partner's book, but it's just very well referenced. The data is out there on fasting. The data is out there on the hormonal theory of obesity and the data, you know, is out there and sort of the, the whole disaster of the calories in calories out model of obesity And just think back to, you know, if you're a physician too, like uh, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, you know, and expecting different results. And that's all we're doing when we recommend calorie restriction diets and exercise to our patients. Not that exercise is bad. I spend a fortune (laughs) on exercise and equipment um, myself every month, but uh, it, it doesn't work. So why are we continuing to do it over and over again? It's so scary to me. I uh, in November 2019, there was this article posted, uh, Washington Post, CNN, a major U.S. Uh, outlet, that you know, like uh, four and five adolescents in the United States are obese. And then I was actually the same month I was in Florida uh, for U.S. Thanksgiving with my in-laws, and we're walking around Disney. And I could count on one hand that day, how many children that I saw that were not visually obese. Wow. Um, and it was really sad and depressing. And people are just like, doctors are just accepting this and people in society are, as like the new norm. And it it hasn't been the norm throughout human history. So, you know, sure, when, in my grandparents' generation, maybe we hadn't lived that long as a species. So. Maybe that was the norm for adults, but you know it, it's not the norm for you know adolescents in North right. America. So we need to take a hard look at what we've been doing and seeing what doesn't make sense. So those are just my thoughts on the subject.
0: Oh, that's helpful, Megan. Excellent. I like to always try and end with a, a story where you've really felt that your work has been impactful and and as affected lives. Can you think of a story off the top of your head that you really felt like what you're doing is making a difference?
1: On more of a, I guess they're they're both professional, on more of a a personal level between me and the the people that that I actually interact with was the first time um, one of my clinic patient's daughters, she just showed up at the clinic a young woman in her mid thirties and the secretary called me from my office in the back. And this woman was just crying in the front of the office. I had no idea who she was. And like, she just wanted to thank me, you know, for changing their family's lives. And that, you know, her father who wasn't even allowed to drive because, because his diabetes is so bad at one point. Um, he was now able to get his license back and was able to pick his grandson up from school and hang out with him every afternoon. And she just broke down and that like, you see people get better and you see how healthy they are and you know that their personal lives are better, but there's a a disconnect there and just seeing her just show up in the middle of her day, taking the time to actually, um, share that was, um, was uh, pretty cool and uh, definitely very meaningful. And then professionally with other healthcare professionals, I was invited to be the the world fasting representative uh, at uh, Swiss Re and British Medical Journal's uh, Food for Thought and Redefining Diabetes Conferences in Zurich, Switzerland in 2018. Wow. And I was nervous, like the Jace, like, Of course, they wanted Jason because he was a medical doctor. But he was uh, Cambodia. I don't know. He was going somewhere. So uh, John Schumbe from Re and you know said, "You need to be there. Uh, uh, Jason can't be there." And Jason's very bold, and I'm very not. um, So um, I was I was literally throwing up the night before in the hotel room, just fearing that I was going to get attacked by all of these individuals. But for the food for thought conference, the people agreed that you know red meat's not as bad and salt might not be as bad and you know this and that but there was still a lot of disagreements uh walter willett from harvard threatened to call child services on gary tobb silver butter um right. it was really wild but everybody agreed that we eat too often and i was actually one of the more popular guests and then um and then we were in the redefining diabetes portion afterwards, and John Schumbe, the medical director, the chief medical officer of Swiss Re, asked a group of doctors, and I'm in a group of doctors that are just, like, are all my superheroes, um, or were a lot of my superheroes. Not everyone was there. And um, John asked them, uh, you know, who in this room fast themselves? And everyone in the room, but two people, uh, Stephen Finney and Dr. Sarah Halbert, put up yeah. their hands. Um, wow. And everybody did. And I'm like, wow, like these are all my super, like you know, so many of my superheroes. And I knew from the start of my career that they all weren't big fans of fasting. Um, and then after I spoke, they came up to me and said that, you know, our work inspired them. And now they're trying to get it out there and they're messaging or working with their patients. And that was really cool professionally to say, okay, like, we're now impacting doctors who have the potential to impact thousands and thousands of patients. Um, and, uh, and that's actually happening now. So that was that's really amazing. meaningful. That's yeah. It's amazing, cool.
0: amazing. And I gotta tell you, there's, um, even at our hospital, when we have a patient uh, goes through a CT scanner and have evidence of fatty liver, Jason's, they'll cite Jason's book in terms of you know suggesting fasting methods to reduce um their weight and and reverse disease and and so it is really really impacting physicians it's impacting you know your patients your clients it's it's amazing it really is got a huge reach and i, I actually i mean the the reason I, I i'm having you on the show is because i wish more people knew about it cuz this is a real legit way on how we could better people's health and solve healthcare. Liz and Megan, I really want to thank you for agreeing to do the show. How do people reach out to you?
1: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. So all of my uh, contact information is on thefastingmethod.com. And you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram uh, at the handle uh, Megan J Ramos. The J is for, for Jennifer, so Megan J Ramos.
0: Boom. Megan Ramos thank you so much You're, uh, this was very helpful uh,
1: well it's awesome thank you so much for having me on today it's great to support a fellow Canadian so it's, it's cool I appreciate it
0: thanks so much thanks everybody for listening I hope you enjoyed our second conversation with Megan Ramos just so wanted to do a quick shout out to our volunteer group uh, specifically Ross Prager who's been instrumental in helping out with the show notes Thanks so much for the work you're doing. Once again, in terms of finding us, if you want to leave any comments, we're at quadcast99 at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram or YouTube or Facebook at Quadcast. In terms of merchandise, you can find that at solving-healthcare.myspotify.com. I want to give another shout out to the Department of Medicine at Ottawa University, helping out with the with the promotions and Thank you guys for listening. It means the world. And I think what we're doing is making a, a small dent on solving healthcare, but it's a dent nonetheless. See y'all soon.